Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, remember where we left, left off last week where uh, Paul is saying to the church that, you know, that, that we're not with you anymore and, you know, we want to be with you, but Satan has hindered us and we endeavored all the more to see your face. And so that's where we kick off here in chapter 3, verse 1. He says here in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it. Now, keep in mind, Paul, remember who he was before he came to Christ, a killer, persecutor, and beater of Christians, you know, a, a worker of the law. When he was a Pharisee, a Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel when he was in his BC days, and he was performing the works of the law. But then at the same time, you see how he is different the care that he has for the saints the care that he has for the churches i mean people that he wanted to when before he came to christ people that he wanted to meet and see so that he can imprison them beat them and kill them and now he wants to be face to face with them so that he can pour into them it's like wow what a radical difference and that's the handiwork of our lord jesus christ that's what he can do to anybody anybody he says here in verse 1, when we could no longer endure it. Now, there exists a pain of separation. Understand that church is not a social club. Church is not a social club, nor is it leaven. Now, you do find leaven in church. You do find social club in church. But those are to be dealt with by the elders and the pastors. Godly ones. There exists a pain of separation. And you don't see this pain of separation, you know, understanding that church is not a social club, but it is experienced among the godly, this pain of separation. The carnal, carnal believers, you know, like, I mean, you think of like, a, 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 a like Joseph. Oh, Joseph, we're going to throw you in this pit. Good riddance. Oh, Joseph, we're going to sell you away. And, you know, good riddance. Jeremiah, who are you? Who are you? You know, we're of the elect. Who do you think you are? We have our priests. We have our prophets. Good riddance, Jeremiah. What about Paul? Oh, how dare he speak to us about this? Look, we're Christians. So what if I'm having sex with my dad's wife? So what if I'm doing drugs? So what if I'm doing the alcohol? Now, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, you know, I can understand the, the drugs and the sex. What are you talking about sex with your dad's wife? Well, that was happening in Corinth. S such egregious sin that not even non-believers were doing it. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and you'll understand. But that's what was happening inside the church. How dare Paul speak about us like this? He's so judgmental. God is love. He, you know, good riddance. Let's not see Paul. I'm glad he's not with us. But among the godly, there's that pain of separation. And you see that with Paul. You see that with Timothy. You see that with Dr. Luke. You see that with James, with Peter, with John. Until, you know, understanding the difference, that making the distinction between worker and field. And you see that with the worker unto the field. But you also see it with the, the field or building unto the worker. You see that. And so Paul, when he says when we could no longer endure it, the godly, when there's this separation, there's this brokenheartedness, 
Paul, you know, I long to be with you. I long to see you so I can pour into you, so I can teach you, so I can equip you. I long to, for that to happen, for that exists. But just like he says last week in our study in chapter 2, Satan hindered us. But he says we can no longer endure in verse 1. He says, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Now, this is this separation, a good separation, because you see this good separation in, I mean, you know, a good separation in, you know, 1 Corinthians 5 too, the, the separation from the leaven and the and, and, and the remnant, but, you know, it's painful, but it's good in terms of, okay, you know, let's, Let's get you cleaned up. You know, this this remnant separate from the leaven and this remnant. Let's get you cleaned up and let's move on to perfection. And, you know, there's the beauty of that separation, but it's painful. And then there's this other separation where we see in uh, uh, here in verse one. But, you know, we we, we, we capture this. If, you, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts. And when, when, when Paul gets into Athens in Acts chapter 17, Paul gets into Athens, but he separates from Timothy and Silas and they return to Thessalonica. Timothy and Silas. Paul stays in Athens. But Timothy and Silas go back to Thessalonica. And so that's where we, where, where, where the, the overlay that we see in the book of Acts. And that's what we see here in verse 1. That we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy. Now remember how, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while, how many times in the book of Acts did we say, you know, how Paul is not like the average bear? He's not like the average bear. He took little Timmy under his wing to pour into Timmy the next generation, yes, of righteousness, but also the next generation of pastoral leadership. Paul is not like the average bear. Little Timmy is not like the average cub. And so we see here in verse 2, And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, diakonos, or we get the word deacon, Diakonos. And I love that so much because you see little Timmy, you know, in, in, you know, in, in several years, he's going to be, uh, in a, in a overseer capacity, in an overseer role, you know, about, about 10 years from this particular passage, this particular moment in First Thessalonians 3, about 10, you know, with, with, with about 10 years, and he's going to be as, as an overseer in the church. But then at the same time, you see him here, how in verse 2, our brother and minister Diakonos. And you see little Timmy himself as, you know, like deacon. And then, you know, he gets into overseer role. And I love that so much because it's like, wow, you see how, you know, when a person goes from pew to pulpit, you know, and, you know, when I say pew to pulpit, you know, it's like, you know, ministry, ministry. Uh, but when I say pew to pulpit, it's like, you know, from building to worker. It's not just like an instant, you know, like, boom, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a building. No, the Lord must build the house. And Paul says to young Pastor Timothy not to use a novice, not to use a novice in, in ministry capacity. Because understand, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a major battlefield, spiritual battlefield. I mean, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know, you, you know these things. If you're a new believer, you became a Christian a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago. You might not know that aspect of spiritual warfare, but, you know, give it another month and boom, you'll see it. Because as soon as you become a Christian, Satan puts a big target on your back. He wants you dead. He wants to kill you. You see, for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, he already knows that he's going to drag them to hell. 
That's why we go on a rescue mission. We have our, you know, the full full armor of God, but at the same time, we also have our fishing poles, our nets. And so you see little Timmy in his his own growth, and he's, you know, he says, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ. Now, is and our fellow labor is the co-labor or co co-worker. Understand? Remember, we make the distinction between worker and building. Worker and building. That's from our study in First Corinthians chapter three. And remember, <clears throat> when you look at Acts seventeen, it was it was Timothy and Silas who went back to Thessalonica. And so that's what you see here in verse two: Timothy, our brother and minister, and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ. So you know, sometimes we read this and it's like, okay, so it's Timothy, he's a brother, he's a minister, and he's a fellow labor in the gospel of Christ, which is true. But, you know, you make these distinctions, you know, there's also two people here. Because when you read Acts 17, it's two people. I mean, you read verse 2 here in, in 1 Thessalonians 3, it's like, okay, it's just Timothy. But no, you read Acts 17, and you see, wow, it's Timothy and Silas. So you see here, our, our, our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ. Now, remember, there's no social media back then. No cell phones, no phone calls, no nothing. It's So, you know, you, you see this, and you see the broken broken-hearted state of Paul wanting to wanting to encourage the saints in Thessalonica but he couldn't there was that separation and so what does he do then no social media no cell phones no texting no emails no newspapers no nothing well they had you know different you know distribution of news but in terms of like phone calls no it's old school and so little Timmy, little Timmy and Silas, they go, they, they break apart from Paul in Athens. Paul goes to Athens and then Timmy and Silas, they return to Thessalonica. Why? What's the purpose? And so we see here to establish you, to establish you. And in the Greek, this is to establish, confirm, to covenant and to hold as solid, stable, and strong. I love that so much. I mean, have you ever taken two blocks, take two pieces of wood, and you glue them together, no nails. You glue them together. You know, you have like, you know, construction glue or the, you know, the, the heavy duty glue, you know, Elmer's glue or something like that. And, you know, you pour it on one side and then you stick the, the boards together, you slap them together. And it's like, you know, after, you know, if, if you let go of, of, of the wood, you hold on to one block and you let go of the other one after like a second. Well, it's going to fall because that glue hasn't, you know, hasn't really, you know, stuck, hasn't dried. I mean, there's the sticky aspect, but it hasn't dried. So if you like, you know, stick it together and, you know, immediately let one go, it's going to fall. So what do you do? You, 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 you glue it and then you, you hold it together and you keep holding. You keep holding. You keep holding. You keep holding. 10 seconds later, 20 seconds later, 30 seconds later, five minutes later, and you can let it go and boom, it's stuck on there. I love that so much because that's how this word translates to establish you, to hold as solid, stable, and strong. I love that, you know, hold hold until it sets. And that's what happens in ministry. That's what happens in ministry. Pastors, elders, teachers, ministry leaders. Because there has to be that 
intimacy to pour into that next generation of righteousness and among there there might be the next generation of pastors too that might that might be the case as the lord remember the lord must build the house and then there's that aspect of intimacy koinonia among the ecclesia and ecclesia is a body of people who are set apart it's not just church as a social club no it's not a social club it's a people set apart, gathering together, episunagage. And within that framework, you see this establishing, holding as solid. You know, a person comes to Christ. Say we're in church together. A person becomes a brand new believer. Well, there's that spiritual aspect of just like the glue. You know, you you take a baby Christian and you take the truth of the word of God. Now, just like that block, you know, it's like, you know, here's the Bible. And then you, you know, hold the whole, you know, hold together for like a second because no, that baby's going to fall away the same way that that block is. But no, you take the word of God, you take the baby, you stick them together. And I'm speaking metaphysically, supernaturally when I say this, you stick them together, pastors, ministry leaders, elders, deacons, bishops. You hold, you hold baby to word, word to baby. You know, 10 seconds later, you let go, the baby falls. 20 seconds later, the baby falls. It might be two years later. It might be five years later. Or the baby's not a baby anymore. You see, mature. And then all of a sudden, just like little Timmy, the next generation of leadership. Because pastors die, elders die, you know, teachers die. You know, everybody gets old. It's, 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 that's just life. Everybody gets old and we die, you know, from the dust to the dust. Carnally speaking, death has no sting to those in Christ. And I love that so much because Paul and this, this little bubble of Paul, they could no longer endure this separation from the saints. And so what does he do? Timothy, Silas, go, go check on the saints. Go check on the saints. And remember, Paul's not like the average bear. Little Timmy, he's not like the average cub. They're on a mission. Yes, they're Christians. Oh, they're, they're, they're on the mission field. They're going to go and make disciples. They're going to go and preach the good news. It's like, you know, there might be that aspect of that. They might run, come across somebody, but no, they're, they're on a mission. And what is the mission? To establish, he says in verse two, to establish you and encourage you, which is to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, remember, the thumb of the religious leaders is very, very heavy. Remember home invasion? This is straight up home invasion material. Home invasion territory. Remember what happened with Jason? I mean, if you reflect back on, you know, First Thessalonians chapter 1 in our study, we, we do the overlay of the book of Acts. And if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember those, those, those studies in the book of Acts. The cost of being a Christian is very heavy, not, not yet under the thumb of Rome. The thumb of Rome was there, but it just wasn't as heavy as the thumb of the religious leaders. You know, it, it, as time progresses, it's going to be the heavy, you know, it, it's going to be two thumbs. It's right now, it's just the thumb of the religious leaders, a little tiny thumb, the, the, the pinky of, of, of the Rome. 
But then, you know, in the course of time, it's going to be the thumb of Rome and the thumb of the religious leaders. And then in the, you, you go even further, then it's going to be the thumb of Rome that's going to be the heavy. And the cost of being a Christian throughout all of it is heavy. This is like home invasion. Christians were hated in Thessalonica, but there was still a church. The saints. And so we see in verse 3, see, so, so you know, they're brokenhearted. They can no longer endure this separation. And Paul says, little Timmy, you go. Silas, you go. Check on the saints. Establish them, comfort them. So what's the purpose? What's the purpose of sending these two? Well, you know, of course, to establish and encourage. But then there's, you know, the, beyond that, verse 3, how does that happen to establish and to encourage? How does that happen or why does it happen? Well, we see in verse 3 that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Remember the thumb of the religious leaders. Home invasion. Dragged out into the town, dragged out into the court. And a huge uproar against the Christians. If you remember our study in the book of Acts. It was so bad that the Christians, the, 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 the church there, they restricted Paul and his little bubble. They restricted them from going because they would have killed them. They would have tore them apart. They wanted Paul. Where are these people who, 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 who turned the world upside down? Where are they? So they restricted Paul. The church did that. The Christians did. No, Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. You know, go over here, go over, you know, just, and, you know, that's when you see the, uh, the, the little bubble Paul and his entourage, they go into Berea. But this encouragement and comfort and this establishing, it's so that the saints in Thessalonica can remember in verse 3 that no one should be shaken by these afflictions or disturbed and moved by these afflictions. Remember, we count the cost. Just as Jesus says, count the cost. Not to see if you can go five days as a Christian. Not to see if you can go five years as a Christian. But to believe in Jesus Christ and walk with Jesus Christ and abide in Jesus Christ to the day you die. To the day we die. We're in the same boat. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Look at how the early, look at the home invasion. Look at what they did to Jason. Look at what they did to Paul. Look at, look at what they did to John. Look what they did. Peter. Don't be surprised when the world, look what they did to our Lord himself. Jesus Christ says, you know, remember that they hated me first. Those are the words of our Lord. And he says in verse three, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. We were appointed to this. Whoa. Is Paul speaking about himself and the bubble and the workers? Or is he speaking about the church and the saints? No, he's speaking about all. He's speaking about the bubble. He's speaking about, you know, the field. He's speaking about the workers and the field, the workers and the building together. We make the distinction between worker and building. But, you know, the, you know it, w- there are aspects where, you know, this is for worker, this is for building, and this is for all. We make these distinctions. In this case, this is for all. You yourselves know that we were appointed for this. We were appointed to this. Whoa. And he's speaking about these afflictions. 
these afflictions. That's hardcore. I mean, home invasion, Thessalonica, home invasion, Jason's house. And he says, we, I mean, you know, he, that, that we were appointed to this. This is how it is in the Greek. We, meaning, you know, all, you know, Tom or, or Timothy, Timothy, Silas, and the saints, all the saints, Paul, are kemai in the Greek. Kemai, which is, we're made for this. That's, you know, when he says in verse 3, we are appointed to this, how it translates in the Greek, kemai, we are made for this. Do you see how counterintuitive that is to the flesh, to the carnal mind? It's like, wait a second, I thought, you know, I come to Christ and everything is going to be fine and dandy. Well, in an eternal sense, everything is beautiful because you're saved. But in an earthly sense, it's dangerous because the world will hate you. And Paul says, we're made for this. We're straight up kemai in the Greek, which is we're made for this. For what? The afflictions. Remember verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, he says, or disturbed and moved by these afflictions. And this word for affliction is thlipsis in the Greek. Thlipsis, which is affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, trouble, and tribulation. And Paul says, we're made for this. Saints are kemai for thlipsis. Saints are made for affliction. Saints are made for anguish. Saints are made for burden. Saints are made for persecution. Saints are made for trouble. Saints are made for tribulation. Like what? I thought I'd come to Christ. I thought I'd become a Christian and everything's beautiful. Everything is beautiful. Because number one, you're not going to burn in hell. But then number two, you know, we have the, the richness in Christ moving on to perfection. But then number three, we have a different perspective when it comes to affliction. A different perspective when it comes to anguish and persecution and tribulation. A different perspective. Because you could look at, remember Peter? When, and Peter and his little bubble, when they were beaten by the religious leaders? You could take a, 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 a beat down and from one perspective think like, Oh man, you know, that that's kind of a bummer because I was beat down. But to take a beat down and rejoice because you were... You, you were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. To take a beat down and rejoice, that takes a different mind. And that's what the Lord does. He gives us a new spirit, a new mind. I used to think when I, you know, 25 years ago, a brand new believer, and I was mad at, I was, mad at the Bible. I was mad at what I read when it came to Stephen. That he just took the beating and what in the world? How come he didn't fight back? Where were his friends? Why didn't they? He said, oh, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of people he couldn't fight back. Well, where were his friends? Fight back. And look, he just sits there and takes it. But then now I look back. Now I'm at, you know, presently I look back to not then, but I look back to 
Stephen's time and that actual account. And he's brave. Very few brave of that caliber. Bravery at that level. It's a new way of thinking. A different way of thinking. And Paul says, we're made for this. The Christian, we're made for this. We are kemai for thlipsis, which includes tribulation. Now, for my beautiful brothers and beautiful sisters who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. The reason why is because it is not found in scripture. I love you. And I don't want to rock your world by saying that. But we have to understand what the scriptures say. In one sense, I do want to rock your world, but gently. And I've had these conversations with many pre-tribulation people of pew and pulpit. How can this be? How can this be that, you know, Paul says we are, in verse 3, that we are speaking about the afflictions, that we are appointed to this? How can this be that we are kemai for thalipsis, that we are made for tribulation? How can this be when the Bible says that we're not appointed to tribulation? We'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath. For God did not appoint us to wrath. A biblical truth. And praise be to the Lord. And this is where manuscripts are very, very important, imperative. When I say manuscripts, I mean original manuscripts looking at the uh, Greek and Hebrew texts and Aramaic texts. You know, here in this particular passage, specifically Greek texts. But this is why it's so important to look at manuscripts. Because the Bible does say that we're not appointed to wrath. A biblical truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. A biblical truth. That the saints are not appointed to wrath. But this appointed, it's tetemi in the Greek Tithemi, and wrath here is orge. Tithemi and orge. And how that translates in the Greek is the Christian, the saint, is not placed in God's wrath. You see? So a lot of times people read, like, you know, where we're at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, when Paul says regarding the afflictions, regarding the uh, thlipsis, you know, tribulation and affliction and persecution. They read this and I'm like, you know, you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. And it begs the question, well, wait a second. If, if we're appointed to this affliction, how does that correlate to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9? When we're not appointed to that. And that's where original manuscripts are very, very important. And when you look at the Greek, they're completely different words. In chapter 3, it's uh, kemai and thalipsis. Saints are kemai for thalipsis or made for tribulation. But then in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, verse 9, 
We're not appointed to wrath. We're not, we're not tithemi, uh, we're not tithemi uh, uh, to orge. You see? I'll give you an example of what this is. Say, for example, say we're warriors. We're warriors. And we're on a, um, we're on a peacekeeping mission, but we have our weapons because we're going into dangerous territory. So we are warriors and we are, you know, they, they drop us in, you know, we land, you know, we, we, we get on, we're, we're, we're on, say we're on some type of carrier ship. We're on some type of carrier ship, a troop carrier. The helicopter lands. We get on board and we're on a, some type of peacekeeping. You know, we're, you know, uh, uh, some type of peacekeeping mission. We get on the bird. A bird flies us into, into theater A and it's dangerous territory. We have our weapons. We, you know, ready to go. You know, when it comes into combat, we're ready to go, but we're on a peacekeeping mission. So we enter this theater of, you know, dangerous territory. And this dangerous territory, there are people there who need to hear what we have to say. They need what we have to give, but it is very dangerous territory. Now, this dangerous territory, it's going to intensify. It's going to grow even more dangerous and it's going to get more dangerous in the course of time. It's going to get so dangerous that no flesh would be saved. That's how dangerous it's going to be. And this peacekeeping mission, yes, is to, you know, make peace with, you know, individuals and people and families. And yes, and to say like, you know, give them this message. Understanding that it's going to get so dangerous there to the point that no flesh would be saved. That's how dangerous it's going to be. I mean, it's already dangerous, but. It's going to intensify in its danger. But then there's a second phase to the mission. And the second phase to the mission is that our commander has given us conditions for evacuation. So first phase is we enter this theater. We enter, you know, we're on the troop carrier. We get on a helicopter. The helicopter lands and, you know, helicopter, we get on board. The helicopter flies away, lands on, you know, on dry ground. We get off and we begin our mission. Meeting with people and we're we're fully armed. Don't forget, we're fully armed. Fully capable. Very dangerous environment. And... In some cases, we engage with weapons. In other cases, we engage with, uh, you know, with this message of peace. We're doing both because it's a dangerous environment. But the danger is going to get even more palpable, very, very intense to the point where no flesh will be saved. Now, phase two of this mission is that our commander has given us conditions for evacuation. And when this evacuation happens, everybody that we communicated with in town is fully aware of phase two and the conditions for evacuation. And then there's our rally point for exfil. And once exfil happens and once we are extracted from, you know, this theater, all of a sudden there's going to be a barrage of naval gunfire. And everything is just going to be destroyed. Now, I don't like speaking about this in the, in this carnal context, in this 
context uh, of, of the flesh. But I do so so that we can understand phase one and phase two. Phase one is when we're in the theater of this arena. It's you can call it combat. You can call it, you know, it's, it's we're on a peacekeeping, but at the same time, it's very dangerous. And so we use our weapons. But then at the same time, we're also delivering this message of peace. We make these distinctions. But then we have to also understand phase two, which are the conditions for evacuation. And we leave, we exfil, we extricate ourselves. And, you know, we, we extricate ourselves in terms of, you know, being aware of the conditions for evacuation. And then, you know, helicopter lands and boom, we're out of there. Why? Because there's going to be a barrage of naval gunfire because that's how evil it's going to be. That's how dangerous it's going to be, so much so that no flesh would be saved. That's that's the theater that we're entering. And it's also the theater that we're leaving because there's going to be a barrage of naval gunfire. In this example, we are appointed for phase one. We are appointed for phase one. And in phase one, when we're in the theater of this very dangerous environment, we have a job to do. We're giving this message of peace and we're giving this message of hope and explaining, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, conditions for evacuations to those who receive our message. But we also have our weapons with us because, you know, we're going to encounter some bad characters who don't like us, who hate us and want to kill us and we will take casualties. We are appointed for phase one, but we are not appointed for phase two, which is the barrage of naval gunfire when everything's going to be destroyed. We are appointed for phase one, but we are not appointed for phase two. And that's how we make the distinction between, you know, because I've had this conversation with the, you know, my, 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 my beautiful pre-tribulation rapture friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ who in turn call me, you know, satanic because I don't teach a a pre-tribulation rapture. They say, oh, you know, you're of the devil because you don't teach pre-tribulation. You're of the devil because you don't believe in pre-tribulation. No, I don't teach it. I don't believe it because it's not what the Bible says. We have to understand the text. Text, context, and codex. And on top of that, manuscripts. Be it Hebrew, be it Aramaic, be it Greek. We have to understand the manuscripts. You see? Saints, we are kamai for philipsis, which is we are made for tribulation. And that's what happens in phase one when we are in theater. But saints, we are not tethemi for orge, which is we are not placed under God's wrath. And that's the naval gunfire in this example. We have to make these distinctions. Now, if you're pre-tribulation rapture, you believe that the rapture is going to happen before the 70th week of Daniel, which is unbiblical. I'll just be straight up. I don't want to, you know, I I don't want to, I just want to be straight up with you. If you're pre-tribulation rapture and you believe that the rapture will happen before the 70th week of Daniel, listen to our other studies. One study is called, When is the Rapture? The next study, or, you know, the first one, listen, is uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically, biblically Explained. 
Listen to that one and then listen to the next one, which is called When is the Rapture? Listen to those two studies and you'll understand because we break it down. We break it down and we study and we show and we indicate passages, passages here, Old Testament and New Testament, Greek and Hebrew. And we look at these passages and analyze and you will see that the pre-tribulation rapture theory is wrong. It does not align with the truth of scripture. It aligns with seminary. It aligns with theology schools. It aligns with, you know, Hollywood books or Hollywood movies and, you know, famous books. It aligns with, you know, left behind. It aligns with all kinds of different things. But it does not align with the word of God, the Bible. And I've been called, you know, oh, you you work for Satan, you're satanic, you're demonic, you're demonically influenced because you don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Listen, call me what you want. I don't care. I love you. I've had these conversations with the pre-tribulation rapture and they say that, you know, if the mark of the beast comes, if, you know, if, if what you say is the mark of the beast and that comes, I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it on my hand or I'm going to put it on my forehead. And then I ask the question, well, why would you do such a thing? And they tell me, because we're still here. And because we're still here, that means that I can take it because we haven't been raptured out. Whoa, you see. On top of that, you have so-called pastors who say it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Lies, it's all lies. Rather than hold on to a theory, let go of the theory and hold on to truth. On top of that, don't forget that there's going to be a great falling away. I mean, picture Christians who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. And finally, you know, 70th week doesn't happen. Mark of the beast is instituted. And there will be Christians who say, oh, I'm going to take the mark of the beast because I'm still here. So this means it's not the biblical mark of the beast. So I'm going to go ahead and take it. On top of that, this pastor over here who has a study Bible says, I can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. But then there's going to be other believers who say, we were supposed to be raptured and we're still here. Therefore, everything I believed is fake. I'm done with this. You see? And that's the danger behind theories. I love you. You believe in the pre-tribulation rapture? I love you. I don't hate you. But we have to understand what the text says. What the word of God teaches. That saints, we are chemi for thalipsis. We are made for tribulation. Look at, look at Jason. Look at Jason. He had his home, you know, home invasion. Dragged out of his own house. You know, and Christians today, mostly, and, you know, I, I teach from America. And Christians today in Western culture, you know, especially in America, well, it could be in Europe too, but, you know, mostly I see a lot in America. Christians say, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? It's like, wait a second, have you not read your Bible? Look at the suffering that's happened from the beginning. Look at the suffering that happened to Israel. Look at the suffering that happened to Judah. Look at the suffering that happened to the early church. Early brothers, early sisters in Christ. Look at the suffering that's happening happening right now. A pastor whose wife is raped, daughter is raped, and then they're killed 
And not just raped, you know, multiple times. They make the pastor watch. And then they kill the wife, they kill the daughter, and then, you know, they chop up the son, and they make the pastor watch. And then they tell the pastor, are you done with Jesus Christ? He says no, and then they kill him. And yet, saints in America, Christians in America, why would God allow us to suffer? What an affront to the cross. Because we are appointed for Kemai. Phase one. We are appointed for this. We have the weapons of our warfare. The mission that we have, the good news, sharing the good news. Making disciples. Always with our weapons. You know, we have the, 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 the weapons of warfare which are not carnal. The full armor of God, we enter into phase one, understanding that yes, there's there's the, the, the seed. We we plant these seeds, and you know, once the seed goes forth, what happens? That's when we, you know how many times do we reference Luke 8? What happens with the seed? Well, you know, the seed goes in somebody's ear, all of a sudden Satan wants to take it so that they do not believe. Or the seed can fall on the rock, the seed can fall among thorns, or the seed can fall on good ground. All we're doing is planting seeds. That's all we can do. Once the seed leaves our mouths, it's beyond our control. The seed goes in somebody's ear, and where does it go? Does it go to the heart? Does it make it to the heart? Or does Satan, what what does Satan do? Or the seed can go among rock, it can go among thorns, or it can find good ground. That's between the person and the Lord. And that's our mission. We enter phase one. And in so doing, we're going, we're going to receive attacks. Remember, it's, it's a mission that we have from the Lord. And we spread seed. But we will be under attack and we will take we will take casualties i mean you know if if you ever talk to a vietnam veteran you know i have some friends that are vietnam veterans some family members that are vietnam veterans and you know to to be in a platoon and you know get a a a a, a, a report an intelligence report a mission report and you know this is what we're going to do and you have like say 100 guys in a platoon and know that there's going to be an 82% casualty rate and yet still enter to, to still perform in this campaign. There's going to be, it's projected that we're going to have an 80, 82% casualty rate and to still go in. That requires discipline. That's the same thing for you and me as Christians. We're on ship, bird lands, we get on board, we fly away, we're going to get, you know, get inserted into ground. What's, what's the casualty rate? It's high. There's a casualty rate. According to the flesh, there's a casualty rate. And in some cases, according to the spirit too. Because remember that seeds on, look at Demas, Bright Light's big city of Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. Demas has left me. 
So we enter phase one. We enter with the, the bird lands on dry ground. We get off. And we have a very specific mission of planting these seeds, so sowing these seeds and spreading these seeds. And whether it enters the heart on good ground, that's between the person and the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we desire. But we still understand too that there's, there's going to be enemy forces that attempt, that will attack us, but attempt to kill us. But we also have offense too. We have a defensive posture. But then there's also the offensive posture. And then we go on offense. We go on the attack, metaphysically speaking. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. You know, demon possessed comes on the attack. There's the, you know, defensive posture to repel that. But then there's the offensive posture. Remember the, the, the demon possessed, you know, the demon says, you know, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, but who in the world are you? Very specific formula to the warrior class. Very, very specific formula to the warrior class. And we're appointed for phase one. Christians were appointed for phase one. Very dangerous ground. And there will be philipsis, which is affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, trouble, and tribulation. There will be tribulation in phase one. But there's always in our mind what the commander says, capital C, his name is Jesus Christ. He says, when you see all these things happen, know that it's about time for evacuation. And once evacuation happens, straight up naval gunfire, everything's going to be destroyed. You're not appointed for that. You see, that's how the, that's what the Bible teaches. You have pastors today, pastors today, who they reference, you know, Geneva Bibles. Geneva Bibles. Now, the Geneva Bible took, you know, two years to translate and 40 plus years to add commentary to it. And they look, okay, I I can finally use this Bible to explain this. It's commentary. He said, oh, the Geneva Bible, that was, that's such a good Bible. You know, there's the, the Puritan Bible, the Geneva Bible. Look at Geneva. Look at Geneva. Read the, read the history books about Geneva. Oh, that was Geneva. That's the Puritan Bible. That's the best Bible there is. What? Look at Salem. Look what happened there. Understand, we have to look at the manuscripts. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. We look at the manuscripts. You see? Sometimes I have these conversations with the theologians, the scholars. Oh, you're King James. You're King James. No, I'm I'm Greek. I'm Aramaic. I'm Hebrew. Understand that translations are translations. You know, modern text, the the, the post-Alexandrian, I don't do. I don't do. The reason why? Too modern. It's too modern, too, too much deviation from the original manuscript, from the original text. And I say this because, you know, for my brothers and sisters who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, number one, it doesn't align with scripture. But then number two, it is dangerous doctrine. It might not be dangerous today, 
But when the, as soon as the 70th week begins, it is very dangerous. Because now it's a different ball game. Because now if you adhere to the pre-tribulation rapture, you, my friend, are opening yourself up to other courses that are not good. Other routes that are not good, such as, oh yeah, I'll just take the mark of the beast because, you know, we're still here. We haven't been raptured yet, so it's okay. It's not the, it's not what the Bible prophesied about. Dangerous. Or if you're pre-tribulation and, you know, you're in reformed theory, the reformed, the, reformed theology, and you, you know, you listen to a guy who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Whew, double whammy. You're in trouble. And sometimes I have these conversations with the, you know, the pre-tribulation rapture, my brothers and sisters, and they get mad at me. Oh, you work for Satan. You're, you're demonically influenced and oh, you're so evil. How? Show me how. Oh, but this guy, this seminary teaches this, this seminary, this theology school teaches that and this and they believed it for hundreds of years. Okay, that's nice. What does the Bible say? Oh, this Geneva Bible says this. It's translation. It says commentary. You see? Two years to translate. 40 plus years to add their commentary. You can believe that? Let's look at the manuscripts. Let's go back even further. Old school. You see? I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue. I mean, in one sense, I want to fight. But I mean, you know, the good fight. <laughs> But I don't want to like, you know, argue to the point of contention to, you know, and I've been called, you know, oh, you're a worker of Satan, you do demonic work and all that because you don't believe in this, you don't believe in that. Show me where the Bible, show me where the Bible shows a pre-tribulation rapture. Show me. You won't find it. And I love you, you know, if you're pre-tribulation rapture, I love you, but we have to come to grips very serious. I mean, it was always serious, but even more so in these last days, because we are right on the cusp of the, 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 the very potentially the very beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. You look at what's happening with, you know, Russia and China and, you know, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. And you see all these things happen. It's, it's dangerous to even speak of certain things. That's, you know, pastors, you know, if, if you don't have uh, plans in place for face-to-face -face only, put those in place. Face-to-face -face only. Because very, very danger dangerous subject matter are going to come on the scene very soon. Very dangerous. Life-threatening. And you have sheep to protect. If, that's if Jesus called you to serve him in the capacity of pastor. If he didn't, step down and repent. Go on hiatus, seek the face of the Lord. But if he did, put plans in place for face-to-face -face only for these perilous times. Very dangerous. I mean, the stuff that's happening in the, in the Middle East, you see the rise of Magog on top of that. You see Saudi Arabia establishing these partnerships, establishing these, you know, trade partnerships, but then all of a sudden invoking, you know, a, 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 a peace with, with, uh, Israel, but, you know, making these conditions for peace with uh, Palestinians. 
They were right. You know, you look at these the the uh, 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 pacts that are coming into play that are uh, in, in accordance a confederation of Arab countries to include Israel. These are the building blocks for the beginning of the 70th week. And it's happening. This isn't like, oh yeah, I can see this happening in 30 years and 50 years, 100 years. No, I can see this happening this year. And for my pre-tribulation rapture brothers and sisters whom I love, you need to jump ship. You need to jump ship. Because as soon as the 70th week of Daniel begins, when that happens, and there's going to be indicators of when it happens and even future indicators of we can look back and say, okay, this was it. You, you will have to change your doctrine. If you're pre-tribulation rapture, you will be forced to change your doctrine. I mean, I say you will be forced to, but I meant it's your choice. You know, it balls in your court. But you will be forced to make some very serious decisions. Are you going to dig in and maintain that theory? Because if so, that presents other arenas of danger. And we're talking about like, we're talking heaven, hell. Heaven or hell. You see? Understand that saints, we are kemai for thalipsis. We are made for tribulation. Phase one, we enter this theater of combat, so to speak, where the fish are. And we go fishing. We got our fishing poles. We got to find the fish. We got our nets. Phase two, evacuation, exfil. We're not appointed for that. Evacuation. And I have these conversations, you know, oh, that's a new concept. That's new. No, it isn't. Look at the Exodus. Look at the Exodus. Plague after plague after plague after plague after plague. Exfil? Evacuation? And then wrath. You see? Plague, 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 plague. Evacuation? Wrath. Judgment. We have the biblical model already. And it will happen again. The saints in Thessalonica, they were in very, very dangerous territory. And Paul, we, we can't endure it to be separated from you. So listen, I'm going to stay in Athens. Listen, uh, Silas, Timothy, come here. Go to Thessalonica. Check on the church. Check on the brethren. Go check on them. To establish and encourage them. Remember to establish is to like glue. Remember the two blocks. It's like to hold is the glue to make sure they're solid and stable and strong. Encourage them and comfort them concerning their faith. In verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. We were appointed. We, we, we are appointed to this. You see, we are made for affliction. We're, we're in phase one. 
We're in phase one where people will hate you. And Jesus says, remember, they hated me first. We're in phase one where there's the home invasion. We are in phase one where there's going, you know, uh, people will, 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 will beat you and hate you because you're a Christian. We're in phase one where, you know, it, it, it's going to get to the point where they're going to chop off heads of Christians, which is already happening in certain regions. We're in phase one where there is rapes of Christians, Christian women. Christian men too. Gang rapes of Christian, you know, beautiful mothers, beautiful daughters, gang rape, beautiful sons, gang rapes. In this phase one is where Christians were thrown into the Colosseum, eaten by bears and lions, raped by Roman soldiers. This is phase one, very dangerous territory, but it's where the fish are. Very, very dangerous territory. Very, very dangerous ground. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. The saints in Thessalonica had this firsthand being under the thumb of the religious leaders. And it's sad too, because you see ultimately the result of what blindness and deafness can be. Blind and deaf to the law. And all of a sudden, a person can be an enemy of the lost fulfillment, which is Jesus Christ. And so, understanding this, you know, let's go in, in chapter 3 now. Chat, let's go back to chapter 3. We're, we're, you know, we referenced chapter 5 for a little bit, but chapter 3. That Timothy and Silas, they're establishing the saints. They, they've uh, these two Timothy and Silas. They've been inside a very, very special bubble. Paul's not like the average bear, and these two are not like the average cubs either. Being trained up, the next generation of ministry leaders. In verse four, he says, "For in fact, we told you before when we were with you, which is we told you before, which is to predict and forewarn when we were with you." That we would suffer tribulation. We would suffer tribulation. Because Paul knows phase one, that theater of combat. Paul knows he used to be on the enemy side. He used to be the, the opposition against Christians. You see? He used to be in the opposition side. And by God's grace, he defected away from that i shouldn't say defected away from that but by god's grace he saw that the law points to jesus christ so it's not a, a defection away from the law per se because the law is still righteous the law is still holy but it always points to jesus christ and if you're blind and deaf to the law and you don't have eyes to see that the law points to Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. Because now, you know, you're in a different theater. I mean, you're still in the theater with saints presently, but you're going to be under phase two, which is, you know, the barrage of destruction. 
So many times as Christians get mad at me. They, oh, you know, don't don't tell people about hell. Just tell them that, you know, that God loves them and they can become Christians. Well, the Bible says so that men can be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ so you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from what? Because this barrage of weapons, it's not like you can, you know, go, you know, hide into a cave and, you know, you're safe. The Bible even says, and you study Revelation, that people are going to attempt to hide in the caves, but they're not safe. People are, it's, it's a, a terrible time, the day of the Lord. A terrible, terrible time, the day of the Lord. For the saints, for the Christians, it's a beautiful day. I mean, when you read the Old Testament, you read like, you know, the, the, the minor prophets, it's like, wow, the day of the Lord, it sounds like such a bad thing. And then you read what Peter writes, inspired of the Spirit, you know, both prophets and Peter, inspired of the Holy Spirit. And then you see like, you know, in the minor prophets, it's like, wow, the day of the Lord, it sounds like it's a terrible day. But then you read Peter, it's like, wow, the day of the Lord, it sounds beautiful. People say, oh, look, it's a, you see, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a contradiction in the Bible. No, it isn't. It depends. What camp are you in? Because the day of the Lord for me, 30 years ago, you know, I can look at the old, the minor prophets and, you know, that was me. Terrible, terrible day, the day of the Lord. Very terrible, terrible day. And now, you know, 30 years later, as a Christian, day of the Lord, beautiful. You see? Why? Because we're not appointed for phase two. Evacuation happens before the barrage. There's a very specific way for phase two. And Christians say, oh, don't tell people about hell. Why not? What is a person to be saved from? What is a person to be saved from? God is not willing that any should perish. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be what? Happy? Have a good day? Those are byproducts of being saved, but to be saved. Through Christ, that they might be saved from hell. Eternal separation from the Lord. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, it's a rescue mission. That's phase one. Rescue mission. Very, very dangerous ground. Very, very dangerous ground to enter that theater in phase one. Very dangerous ground. Where we, we saints are under attack. Saints will take casualties. And on top of that, among the ranks of the saints, some will defect away and turn themselves into enemies. Remember, shepherds can become wolves. Acts chapter 20. You see? And you want to call church a social club? No way. It's training ground. Equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Rolling around on the mat, learning how to fight. We go to the range and snap in with our weapons. Multiple weapons. Affixed bayonets. Learn hand-to-hand combat. Because when we enter phase one, it's on. 
And that's what you see in the book of Acts. You see defense and offense. And Paul says, just like in verse 3, you yourselves know regarding these afflictions, we are appointed to this. We're made for this. In verse 4, he says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. I love this so much. I mean, it's hardcore, but I love it still because he's not, you know, like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ and, you know, everything's going to be beautiful for you. You know, it will be beautiful for you in eternity in paradise. But for Paul in this bubble that when he was with them to say, listen, you know, you come to Christ and you're saved from this wicked generation. But then on top of that, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. Very dangerous to be a Christian. And then, you know, boom, home invasion happens. It's like, wow, it's just like Paul says. Well, don't forget the towns that Paul was in before. He knew these things. He was on the opposition side of of Christ. Killing Christians, having them beaten and imprisoned. He knows. He's been in those, you know, close circle conversations with, you know, planning and strategically laying things out to say, oh, you know, how are we going to attack these Christians? He's been in those closed door meetings. He knows how they talk. And yet, he became a Christian, saved by the Lord. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely good news. Absolutely good news. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But we must know what that entails. At any moment in time, Every single saint must know what that entails. Some generations, it's easier than others. In these last days, it's going to grow more difficult. And it's going to be to the point, under phase one, it's going to be so difficult that no flesh would be saved, even the elect. That's how bad it's going to be unless those days were shortened. That's how bad it's going to be. You see? Understand my pre-tribulation rapture brothers and sisters whom I love. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to confront you to the point of like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, everything I believe. Because I've had these conversations with the pre-trib. And it's like, you know, there's that shock. Like, oh my goodness. And, you know, look at the manuscript, study this. And then they come back, you know, a week later, a couple days later. It's like, kind of like frazzled, like everything I thought was wrong. Well, not everything, just this. Oh, it could be depending on, you know, you know where, where you go, who teaches you. It could be, it could be more things that are wrong. I mean, you go to a church where the pastor says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You got to jump ship because that, that, that's a servant of Satan. You go to a church where the pastor says, hey, look, the glitter is the Holy Spirit. You know, you that's a servant of Satan. You go to a church, the pastor says, oh, let's go lay on the grave so we can soak in the spirit. No, that's a servant of Satan. So it could be the case where, you know, not everything you believe was wrong, but that's where you have to be Bereans. Understand what the scriptures teach. Understand, understand what the scriptures say. Manuscript. You see? It's very important because these modern translations that we see of the Bible today, 
very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. We must count the cost. We are appointed to tribulation. Appointed to tribulation. The theater of phase one is very, very, very dangerous. Life-threatening dangerous. Very threatening to the flesh. And quite possibly to the spirit if you're not equipped. You see? That's why Paul, you know, longed to be with the saints in Thessalonica. And when he could no longer endure it, he sends his cubs, you see? The next generation of pastoral leadership. Not yet, but you know, you're, go check on the saints. And don't just check on them. I mean, check on them, yes, but establish them, encourage them. That they know that the saints were in this world, we're not of this world. We're in this world, we're on our way to paradise, but before we get to paradise, it's dangerous, dangerous territory that we're in. Very dangerous ground that we're in. And we're appointed for this. Phase one in this theater of war. But we're not appointed to phase two. Which is, you know, we're the evacuation and then the barrage of naval gunfire. That's God's judgment. God's wrath. Orge. Making the distinction between, you know, orge and thumos. Making the distinction between uh, uh, philipsis and tithemi. Making these distinctions. You see? Be be between, you know, uh, 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 philipsis and, you know, uh, 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 orge and making all these distinctions. I know some translations say this and some translations say that, but some translations are more commentary. We look at the manuscripts. Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. We look at the manuscripts. And so we see here in verse 5, for this reason. See, the tribulation is so heavy and intense in Thessalonica that it stimulated the heart of Paul. I love that so much. You see the heart of Paul. I got to check on my kids, make sure they're okay. My spiritual kids. Remember he said of Corinth, you know, you, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, but not, you know, you one, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. And he speaks of himself like they, they pass through his birth canal and he's male. He has no birth canal. And yet that's how he speaks of the saints. And knowing that, you know, we were appointed for this, you know, my, my kids, they're in the, they're, they're in phase one. They're in this dangerous environment. They're in phase one and I don't want them to fall and for this reason, in verse 5, when I could no longer endure. Remember verse 1, he says we could no longer endure it. Endure it. But verse 5, he says when I could no longer endure it. And we know, look, looking at, you know, he's not like the average bear. He can endure a lot. But when it comes to the, he can endure a lot for himself. But when it comes to his kids, in danger, in harm's way, in phase one, the theater of war, he couldn't because he wants to make sure they're okay spiritually. He wants to make sure that they're established, 
that they're solid and stable and strong in the Lord. And he says, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. This is a very sobering passage in verse 5. Understand that Satan is a fisherman too. Satan is a fisherman too. It's very important because, you know, it's like, you know, understand that, you know, when we do understand that Satan is a fisherman too, it's like, okay, we're in this phase one in this theater of war, which is a very dangerous environment. Look at all the, look at, look at the barrage of attacks that's already against us in this phase, in this theater. Look at it. I mean, look at the history books. Look at what the saints before had to endure. Understanding that Satan is a fisherman too. You see people, oh, look, I'm going I'm to go minister to these prostitutes. Surely the Lord wants them to be Christians. Yes, the, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to him. But some fights aren't for just anyone. Oh, I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. You know, a week later, you know, he's the customer. Oh, I'm going to go minister to these, you know, the, the, these, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, drug addicts and surely the Lord wants. Yes, absolutely. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. A week later, he's a customer. You see? Satan is a fisherman. A strong fisherman. Evil fisherman. And when church is a social club, you won't be equipped. But when it's a straight up training ground for warriors, you'll know these things. You'll go into the theater of combat. And Satan presents himself as an angel of light and you're going to know. That's demonic. You're going to know. Satan attacks, boom, shield up, sword out. It's training ground. And I don't like speaking like this because it's very carnal, these, 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 these connotations that I use, but I use them so that we, all of us, can understand the nature of spiritual warfare because these things, these carnal examples, even more so according to the Spirit. I meant spiritually speaking, Picture the fight, the fight that Michael is engaged in right now. Picture that fight. You have to have eyes to see, but picture that fight that Michael is engaged in right now. You see Magog on the rise, but look at who's over Magog, Gog. Think about how strong he's getting. On top of that, he who now restrains will be lifted. I mean, when we say these things to pre-tribulation rapture brothers and sisters, and I say this today, right here, right now, if that's you, you have some very serious decisions to make. Are you going to dig your heels in into this theory? Or will you understand the scriptures, the texts, manuscripts, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic? Will you understand the manuscripts, not translations of translations with commentary? 
because if you wait, that's going to be at a time when he who now restrains will be lifted up. And you might change your mind then. But I tell you the truth, it's easier to change today. It will be more difficult to change tomorrow. You see? Because remember, the Holy Spirit goes into the world to uh, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And when the Spirit is lifted, you think it's going to be easy? Oh, but I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. Okay. People will run out of oil for their lamps. You see? Which is why you hear us say, store your oil, store your oil, store your oil. It's not just, you know, a statement, you know, store your oil, okay, you know, God bless you, have a nice day. No, it's an urging, store your oil. Because it's going to get darker and darker and darker and more wicked, more wicked, more wicked. You need that oil. Light for the dark. You see? Satan is a fisherman. Saints were made for tribulation. And that's what's so powerful about the Thessalonian church and the, the saints. Because, you know, if you remember our study from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I mean, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, but if you remember, if you're listening for the first time, you know, God bless you. I love you. And, you know, I'm thankful that you're listening. But I urge you, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and then get caught up because you're going to learn a whole lot about growing and maturing in Christ. And you'll learn about the three years with what happened with Corinth and their arrested development. And that's why we refer to the the Thessalonican church as, you know, the great do-over because it's a better set of three to four years. Why? Because you see Paul pouring into the church. It's almost like you, you, you see in Paul and this, you know, remember caliber, 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 caliber. Remember how we we make the distinction between the caliber of teacher, the caliber of pastor? Because you see under this caliber of teacher, of pastor, of overseer, under this caliber, what Paul is doing with Thessalonica. But then you look at the caliber of pastor and elder and overseer in Corinth. And the same set of three years, what happened to that church? I mean, saints, praise the Lord, but uh, where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Where were the overseers? Defunct. So when you look at the three to four years of Thessalonica and the three years of, you know, 1 Corinthians, you know, you say three, you know, three to four years of uh, of Thessalonica, but then the three years of Corinth, but then the, the three years of Second Corinthians under Paul, under that caliber, but under the defunct, not good, not good, because you see the works of the flesh. And just looking at Thessalonica and Corinth, look at the caliber of pastor, look at the caliber of teacher, look at the caliber of elder and overseer. Bad caliber, look at the flesh in Corinth. Good caliber, look at, of course, doctrine. But then on top of that, 
Look at the fruit. That's why Jesus says, look at the fruit. And Paul in verse 5, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means, in verse 5, the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Picture what the, a pastor in Corinth would have said. Oh, no, let's just love on them and God take care of the rest. Oh, yeah, they're, they're under affliction and, and they want to go, you know, get drunk that night. They want to go do this and party that night. Oh, let's just let God love them. You know, God, God loves them and he'll take care of things. You look at the caliber. Observe the caliber. It's always important to observe the caliber, but even more so as we get further into the events of the last days where this theater, this phase one, it's going to get very, very, very damn. I mean, it's always been dangerous in some regions, more dangerous than others, but it's going to be dangerous throughout the land. And it's going to grow even more dangerous to the point that no flesh would be saved because Satan has his barrage as well. That's called thumos. The wrath of Satan. Not Orge. Thumos. The wrath of Satan. That's how bad it's going to be. That no flesh would be saved. Even the elect. Unless those days were shortened. And those days will be shortened. And when these certain events happen. The Lord gives us the conditions for exfil. Evacuation. Before his barrage, his wrath, which is not Thumos. His wrath is Orge. You see? And I don't like speaking in these terms because, you know, it's there's carnal implications to it, but so that we can all understand, so that you can understand, all of us, the same boat, that we can understand, and not only understand, but be equipped and engaged in understanding this the blueprints of what lies before us in these last days. In verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, so this is like Acts 18, when, when Timothy and Silas, they return. He says, Timothy has come to us from you. <clears throat> You know, it's, you know, remember when we were in the book of Acts and we had that we, we, we taught the concept of like yo-yo, how like, you know, you have a yo-yo, you have it in your hand and you, you know, you like toss it down and it goes down and you flick it up and it comes back. And we refer to these, you know, these senders that Paul sent in his bubble and we refer to like yo-yos, how Paul would send them out and then, you know, and they would come back to him. And that's what, you know, you see Paul, uh, Timothy and Silas as like yo-yos. Paul sends them out. And then all of a sudden they come back. You know, how are the saints? What's what's the report, little Timmy? In verse 6, And brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us. Remember the greatest gift, love. The good news of your faith and that you always have good remembrance of us. I love this so much. This remembrance is as fixed in the mind. As fixed in the mind. I love that so much because you see Paul's love for the saints, and you see the saints' love of Paul. I mean, picture us, you and me, we're in Thessalonica. And yes, it's very dangerous. The cost of being a Christian is very dangerous and kind of like, you know, we're in underground mode where it's dangerous to be a Christian, but we still praise the Lord together. We still have our ecclesia, koinonia, episunagage, but it's like an underground mode. And we love Paul. We love Paul. 
you see. We see little Timmy coming around the corner. Oh, Timmy, you know, we love you. You know, big embrace. We see silence. Hey, silence, how you doing? We give him a big hug. And we know they're not like the average cubs. We've heard about the defunct pastors in Corinth and we're not having none of that. You see? And all of a sudden we see Paul when he says they had a good remembrance of us greatly desiring to see us which is to crave and yearn to see us as we also to see you you see it's reciprocal and i don't like using the word reciprocal because it sounds too corporate it sounds too like you know reciprocity here reciprocity there reciprocal here reciprocal it sounds, it sounds too corporate i don't like that too textbook have you have you ever talked to brainiacs you know they got their you know they got, you know, like higher academia and they say things. It's like, oh, they, they said like, you know, 20 minutes to say something that could have been boiled down in 20 seconds. You know, they said 20, 20 minutes. They say, oh, they're using all these big words. It's like, you could have said that in like 20 seconds. I don't like using that reciprocal. Sounds too official. Sounds too, you know, higher academia, reciprocity of love. No, it's ecclesia. Family. Remember? When Paul says in verse 1, we could no longer endure it. In verse 5, he says, I could no longer endure it. And what's so beautiful, we see this, that they greatly desire to see Paul in this bubble and, you know, they, they greatly desire to be together. It's, it's the acknowledgement and confirmation that, you know what, we can't endure it either, Paul. We can't endure it either. But that's part of phase one where it is dangerous. And part of the tactics of the enemy in these last days is the isolation of saints. Which it's prophetic. The isolation of saints. Remember Bethel in the Old Testament you look at Bethel in Genesis, it's beautiful. You look at Bethel in the Minor Prophets and the Lord says, don't go to Bethel. It's like, whoa, what happened? I thought Bethel was a good place. Yeah, it was a good place. But it didn't stay a good place. Whoa, that's heavy. What about the church? The church is a beautiful, you read the book of Acts and the church is a beautiful place. You look at the last days, you know, prophecies of the last days. And Paul says, or Peter says, judgment comes first to the church. It's like, what happened? Just like Bethel. Genesis, Bethel's a beautiful place. Minor prophets, Bethel's a dangerous place. Don't go to Bethel. Bethel and, and in Genesis, go to Bethel. Bethel, minor prophets, don't go to Bethel, Bethel. Book of Acts, church, beautiful place. Peter, church is judge, under judgment. What happened? Did God change his mind? No. The people change their heart. See? That's the model. That's what we see. It is written. I say plain as day, but sadly, it's not plain as day. But we need to understand what the manuscripts say. Not translations of translations of translations of translations with an abundance of commentary. What does the Bible say? The truth of God's holy word. And so we see here in verse 7. 
Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, which translate, you know, distress and needs. But Paul says, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by our faith. By our faith. Or by your faith. We were comforted concerning you by your faith. I love that so much. Because I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, and you remember our study in the book of Acts, you remember our study in Romans and Corinthians and all up until now, and you remember these studies, it's like, wow, Paul endured quite a bit in those in his, in his bubble. And picture Chloe, when all the saints in Corinth were messed up, walking according to the flesh. And look at Chloe. Think about how Chloe was ostracized from church culture, so to speak. Oh, Chloe, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. Come on, you know, let let God, you know, just God is love. And so therefore we love and let God take care of the rest. And no, Chloe was like, no, that's not, that doesn't honor the Lord. That's not right. Think of what was endured by Paul in this bubble and Chloe and Lydia and Priscilla, Aquila. Think about all that was endured in this bubble and now what brought them comfort. Paul, when he says in verse 1, we can no longer endure it. In verse 5, I can no longer endure it. But what brought him comfort? What brought them comfort? How are my kids doing in Thessalonica? How are my spiritual children doing in Thessalonica? How are my spiritual children doing in Ephesus? Remember, he speaks of saints like they passed through his birth canal. He's male. He has no birth canal. How are my children doing in Corinth? Gets a letter from Chloe. Not so good, Paul. And Paul says to them, you know, the more I love you, the more I'm hated by you. Remember where we last week when we looked at chapter 2 in verse 20, he says, you, speaking of the saints, you are our glory and you are our joy. He says in verse 8, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For now we live if you stand fast or stand firm and be immovable in the Lord. Can you see how beautiful this is? How profound this is? I'm going to tell you a little secret. And I speak to the flock of God. I speak to lamb and sheep. I'll tell you a little secret. If you have a pastor where the formula is right, not female, man, male, remember, coverings, overseer, coverings, always male. Pastor, elder, always male. So female pastor, not applicable. But if you have a pastor where the formula is right, not on, you know, marriage number five, you know, wife's not crazy. The formula is right, doctrine, on point. And I speak to lamb and sheep. The more carnal you are and the more obedient to the flesh you are. I'll say that again. 
the more carnal, 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 the more carnal you are and the more obedient to the flesh you are, the more you kill your pastor. You see? Remember Paul when he says, We're trash. We're the scum of the world. We make the distinction between worker and building, worker and field. We're the scum of the world. Understand that, yes, there's Satan that attacks and demons that attack and people and all these things that attack. And yes, Paul took blows. But the ones that hurt the most are the blows that he took from the saints through their carnality, through the works of their flesh, through their disobedience. The more carnal you are and the more obedient to the flesh you are, the more you kill your pastor. Remember Paul when he says, you know, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The more I love you, the more I'm hated. How he would write to the church, write these letters, and you see, you know, with, with tears in my eyes, he would say. And Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Unless the Lord builds the house, understand, unless the Lord builds the house. The Lord must build the house. This is hardcore verse 8. Now we live. If you stand fast in the Lord, if you stand firm in the Lord, if you're immovable in the Lord, it puts things in perspective. You know, when, you know, the, 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 the separation that we see in 1 Corinthians 5, separation from the remnant and the leaven, it's not willy nilly. It's not no big deal. It's a huge deal. Think of how painful it was for Paul to write those words. Separate from people whom he loves. Like his own children. He puts things in perspective here. And we know it's like, wow, you know, Paul could... Paul could endure a lot. You see? Paul could endure, absolutely, he could endure a lot. But what he couldn't endure is his children in, spiritual children in harm's way in phase one without being equipped. You see? So that they can be equipped to engage and to survive and engage in phase one. That theater of war. In verse nine, we continue. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy which, which we, with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. I love this so much because brother John has the same heart. 
We see in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, where John says, I have no greater joy. I have no greater joy, he says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I'm so in love with these men. Beautiful, beautiful men of God. I'm so in love with these men. Timothy and Silas come back. Paul who could no longer endure. How are my kids doing? They come back and bring good news of the faith of the saints and their love, which is the greatest gift. And that, you know, Paul, you can't endure this separation from them and they can't endure the separation from you. You greatly desire to see them. They greatly desire to see you. Their faith is strong. Praise be to the Lord. And they're thankful unto the Lord in verse 9. He says, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Because just like, you know, Brother John, the same spirit of our Lord. Paul also has the same exact feeling, the same exact sentiment, the same exact mind, the same exact heart deep down into the marrow. To have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You see? Verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face. You see intimacy among the family. Biological, that's biological. I'm talking spiritual. Spiritual. You people say, oh, your family is the most important thing. Oh, yeah, family this, family that. That's nice. Biological family, that's nice. What about the blood of Christ? What's better than that? See? Biological family, prophetically speaking, biological family wants you dead. Prophetically speaking, biological family wants to kill you. Why? Because of the spiritual blood, Jesus Christ. It is written. Oh, nothing's more important than family. That's nice. I'm talking about spiritual family. Heirs of Abraham. In accordance to the promise of God that God gave to Abraham. Many, many, many moons ago. God's promises unto Abraham. According to the promise. Not according to the law. The law was the additive. The law was added because of sin. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand. The law is still holy. But it's the additive to the promise. Until the seed. And now the seed is here. The seed rose, the seed died, the seed was, rose again. Resurrection. And he's coming back. He's coming back. Evacuation. Before phase two. You see? We are appointed to tribulation, but we are not appointed to wrath. You see? We are appointed to philipsis, but we are not 
appointed to Orge. Make these distinctions original manuscripts because modern manuscripts, we're living in a time where modern manuscripts are dangerous. It pains me to say that, but modern manuscripts or modern translations are dangerous. We have to look at original manuscripts. And so we see here in verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And this is so beautiful to perfect what is lacking in your faith. What you perfect here is to repair, adjust, mend, restore, prepare, perfect, and complete. And he says, your faith. Remember, this is a young church, Thessalonica. This is a very, very young church under constant threats, under constant attacks, both spiritual and physical. I mean, look at the home invasion. And it's beautiful that they have faith. But understand, because of their youth in Christ, a, a young church, they also lack understanding, which is completely understandable. I mean, if if Timothy lived in Thessalonica, you know, that would be one thing. Or if Priscilla and Achilla lived in Thessalonica, yes, Paul would have concern because, you know, they're in harm's way. But then there's the spiritual comfort knowing that, you know, they stand firm in the faith. But for young people, young Christians, I mean, not to say, <laughs> not to say that, you know, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, not to say that they're expendable, <laughs> but for the saints that are in Thessalonica, they, they lack understanding, which is, it's bad to lack understanding, but for them, it's not bad. Why? They're young. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not good for a person to know two plus two. But for a baby that says Google Gaga, you know, three months old, four months old, you can't expect him or her to know two plus two. You see? So it's, it's like they're, they lack understanding, but it's understandable. They're in their infancy right now. But, there's a beautiful, beautiful math equation. Turn with me to Second uh, Peter really quick. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, we see this in uh, verse 5. Brother Peter, Brother Peter says this. Inspired of the Spirit, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, Brother Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. I love it. Add to your faith. It's not some complex, you know, uh, math equation. It's not some complex, you know, calculus, you know. Take the circumference, measure the diameter and the circumference of this perpendicular object and add the, you know, uh, trapezoidal, you know, circumference of the, you don't see that. It's add, you know, one plus one, two plus two. It's easy. Giving all diligence, all diligence, all diligence, brother Peter says, inspired of the spirit, add nothing complicated. 
add to your faith virtue. Just right there alone. It's beautiful to have faith. And the saints in Thessalonica, Paul rejoices that, you know, Timothy, Silas, how are, how are my kids doing? How are my kids in Thessalonica? They're good. They're in the faith. Oh, praise the Lord. But they're still in a state of infancy. Faith is not just faith, period. It's, you know, faith, comma. Add to your faith virtue. Well, how does a person do that? Well, we learn what is virtuous. How? From the Word of God. And we study the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. You, you see virtue all over the place in the Bible. You see lack of virtue too. You see virtue and you see lack of virtue. You see? In Korah, lack of virtue. In Moses, virtue. And you learn. You make the distinction. Okay, this is bad. I don't want to get swallowed up by the earth. I don't want to die. I don't want my family to die. I don't want my kids to die. I don't want these people to die. So I'm not going to be like Korah. You see? And so the Lord teaches us from example through example. These, Just as Paul says, inspired of the Spirit, to Corinthians, he says, the things written of old were written for our admonition, for our warning. You see, okay, I want to be virtuous. So how do I learn virtue? Well, okay, let me read about Korah. Let's study Korah. Okay. He started to teach that he was speaking for God and he was leading a rebellion against God and against Moses. Okay, and there was this opportunity for this. And okay, he made his choice. Does it sound too virtuous? Okay, now the earth is opening up and now Korah's dead and the women, the children, now they're dead and all who followed him, now they're dead. Okay, that was not virtuous and I don't want to die like that. I don't want the earth to open up and swallow me, so I'm not going to do that. We learn from the example. See? And that's how we add to our faith. Just as Brother Peter says, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. And so now we learn, just in the Korah example, we learn, you know, knowledge. It's like, okay, Korah made his choice. Korah, you know, Korah knew, you know, Baal was in, in, in his court at a, at a very early stage. Baal was in his court. And don't forget, it wasn't, it wasn't overnight that, you know, the, the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all who followed him. It wasn't overnight. It was over the course of time. And at every single junction, speaking of day, he could have gone to the priests. He could have gone to the, to the Levites and says, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I am filthy before the Lord and I need to repent. And I got all this following and so I got a little extra cabbage. And so instead of offering a turtle dove, I'm going to offer, you know, an ox. And I need to, I need to be right before the Lord. Here's my offering. And every opportunity, remember, provisions in the law. He could have been right with the Lord, but no, he made his choice. And so we learn, okay, add, you know, easy math. It's not, you know, take the circumference, take the measurement of this perpendicular, you know, doohickey and, you know, bing, 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 boom. You don't see that. It's easy. It's easy. Remember Paul says, I'm afraid for you lest you, you, you move away from the simplicity that's in Christ, that is in Christ, simplicity. You don't need to know calculus to understand the Bible. You don't need to know calculus. You don't need to know geometry 
to understand the Bible? I mean, if you understand, if you understand that God loves you, boom, that's like the very basic, you know, a preschooler, kidding. That's easy. Why would God make it hard, you know? Oh, you know, like, you know, Jesus, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, so now you got to memorize this catechism. Now you got to give this speech and write, you know, two pages of prayer because we just want to we just want to make sure you understand what you're doing. What what Christian understands fully when he comes to Christ, when or when he or she comes to Christ? What Christian understands fully what he or she is doing? When Jesus Christ himself withheld withheld truths to the early followers and in the course of time he would get I mean, who gives steak to a baby who feeds steak to a baby and yet that's what's happening today oh we have this church membership because we want to make sure we, we want to know who we devote our time to so we want you to fill out this application to join church membership and okay you fill this out and oh you left this part out about your wages how much do you make a year what's your annual salary because we want to make sure that you're tithing 10 percent. we want to make sure that you're you know everything's on the up and up in your home and yeah we we just want to make sure fools hirelings they want the money And so, you know, okay, you know, so, so you, your, your, your daughter wants to become a Christian. Okay, now we want her to memorize this catechism and she has to recite this in front of the church and give this big speech and this and that because we want to make sure she knows what she's doing. You see? Foolishness. You don't see that in the Bible. You do not see that in the Bible. God loves you. You believe that? Okay. Now you respond to his love. How does that happen? You repent and you receive Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. Boom. That's it. That's it. You say, wait a second. That's too easy. Why? Why would the Lord make it hard? And if that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. But understand, at this point, I mean, if you, if you, I mean, if you come back, you hit play, and you're listening, okay, now, at this point, you're a baby Christian. You're a baby Christian. And you have faith. But just as Brother Peter says here, inspired of the same spirit that was telling Paul to write this, that was telling Moses to write these things down in the Pentateuch, in the Torah. The same spirit that was saying to Joel, the same spirit that was saying to Ezekiel, to Jeremiah, to to John, the same spirit that was saying to Matthew. That same spirit. You have faith? Okay, praise the Lord. Now, add to your faith virtue. Where do I go for virtue? The Bible, the Word of God. And we study the Bible. We understand these things. We learn from the word of God. Does it end there? No. To virtue, knowledge. In verse 6, to knowledge, self-control. You see? I mean, we just, you know, I'll tell you a little secret. Like, you know, the example of phase one and phase two that we gave, you know, entering the theater of combat and the conditions for evacuation, all these things. I have to be careful when I speak like that because... I have a certain Pandora's box. 
It has to stay closed. But remember, self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And so like, you know, we speak about this theater of combat and I don't go off into crazy town. Why? Because of self-control. It's not to boast, but it's to say like, look, it's possible. You also can have self-control. It's the fruit of the spirit. To add to knowledge, self-control, does it end there? No, he keeps on going. To self-control, perseverance, which is patience and hopeful endurance is how it translates. And that's how we endure in these times. We're in phase one in this theater of combat. And that's how we endure that we are made for thalipsis. We are made for tribulation, for affliction, for anguish, for burden, for persecution, for trouble, and for tribulation. We are appointed. We are made for this. How can it be that we're made for this? I thought, I thought we come to Christ and everything's good. Everything is good. You come to Christ, praise the Lord. You're not going to burn in hell. I don't want to say like that's pretty good, like it's willy-nilly, but that's a huge deal. That's very good. I mean, we read passages about weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal damnation, hellfire damnation, brimstone, fire brimstone. That's not for you. That's good. But in this world, when we're under phase one, We persevere. We endure. We endure. Taking hits. And I don't want to sound like, you know, like, uh, you know, like, 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 you know, overly doom and gloom. But when you see like combat scenarios, some of my friends, old guys, who've been in severe combat in Vietnam... And you hear them give report, give an account of, you know, like reports before they went into combat where there's like 82% casualty rate. Who would, who would go? Somebody tells you, hey guys, you know, you're going to enter this theater of combat and we're going to get, you know, airlifted and we're going to have insertion over here. And oh, by the way, there's 82% casualty rate. Who would go? Only the, only the disciplined. You see? Only the disciplined. What about in Christ? Disciples. Where we get the word discipline. You see? And where death has no sting. It's not to overly... You know, sometimes I have these conversations with people like, wow, you you glorified death. But death comes to us all. Death is our doorway into paradise. And for the Christian, for the saint, death has no sting. You see? And when our minds change like this, which is the Lord does it. I can't do that. The Lord does it from his word. The Lord, it's the work of the Lord by his spirit. And when that happens, we learn about self-control. Remember, knowledge itself is a gift of the Spirit. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? To knowledge, self-control in verse 6, still in 2 Peter chapter 1. To self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. You see what's happening? 
I mean, you're a baby believer. I mean, say say you committed your life to Christ today. I mean, when, when, when I gave that call to hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you did exactly that, and you come back, you ended that, and you come back, and you listen, you hit play, and you hear this, and it's like, wow, at the end of verse 6, to perseverance, godliness, well, you, you're a brand new believer, you are like at verse 5, you know, add to your faith, that, that faith right there in verse 5. For this, for this very reason in verse 5, giving all diligence add to your faith. Stop right there. Faith. That's you. If you're a brand new believer. That's you. But the end of verse 6, godliness. Well, now add to your faith. You learn virtue. You see? You learn, you know, from virtue to knowledge. Remember, we're just plus. That's all we're doing. Plus. Not, you know, measure the measure the diameter of, you know, this perpendicular, this, and the circumference. Of, no, 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 no. Easy. Plus, plus, plus. To knowledge, plus self-control. To self-control, plus perseverance. To, for, to perseverance, plus godliness. It's like, wow, you know what? I, I, like, I'm a prostitute. And now I can be godly? Yes. Look at Rahab. You see? Look at Rahab. Wow, look, I'm an alcoholic and I can be godly? Yes. In Christ? Wow, look, you know, I I used to, you know, worship Satan and now I can be godly? Yes. But I'm alcoholic and this and why would God want me? He is love. Not willing that any should perish. Oh, look, I'm a stripper and I make my money from stripping and all this stuff. And why would God want me? I'm filthy. Well, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Because I've been filthy too. You see? God is love and he loves you. But I went to this church and I wanted to become a Christian. And they said I had to memorize the catechism. They said I had to write this report. That's nice. Probably a Reformed church, Calvinistic church. Westminster church. But it's not biblical. It's not biblical. Oh, but the pastor, he went to this theology school and seminary here and seminary there and doctorate in theology. That's nice. What does the Bible say? Manuscript. What does the Bible say? God loves you. And God sent his son to die on the cross for you. You believe that? Repent. Commit your life to Christ. You see? You're a baby, you're a baby. But from there, we grow. It's, you know, being a baby is a beautiful thing for babies. Praise be to the Lord. What's bad is when people are Christians for five years, ten years, and they're still babies. And you see that all the time. But once they realize the theater of war is getting more, you know, they're going to have a choice. Just like Korah, he had a choice. Every opportunity. Remember, Korah was in the camp. Korah was in the camp. You see? Now we look at verse 7. To godliness 
plus, plus, plus brotherly kindness. That's, we see that in Koinonia, Ecclesia, Episunagage, a body of people who are consecrated unto the Lord. And that's what we see in church, the biblical church, a biblical formula of church, not a social club. You see? And to brotherly kindness, love, the greatest gift. You see how powerful this is? How beautiful it is? Brother Peter, inspired of the same spirit that inspired Moses, the same spirit that inspired Jeremiah, the same spirit that inspired uh, Paul, says in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound or increase, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Peter is saying, listen, if you do this, you're going to mature. You're not only going to grow and mature, you're going to become deadly. Remember we studied that in Colossians? You're going to become deadly. In verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. That's like, you know, 1 Corinthians 3. You know, not that they were, you know, there was a remnant at 1 Corinthians, but I'm talking about the leaven from 1 Corinthians 3. You know, the works of the flesh. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Remember, we spoke about the confidence of the circumcision. Confidence of the circumcision, the caliber, caliber, caliber. And when you're deadly, remember the room? I didn't like saying it, but I had to say it. But remember we gave the, the room with the two women? The example we gave when we were in Colossians? The room with the two women where, you know, worldly women, where they speak a certain way, they behave a certain way, they certainly dress a certain way. And for the baby Christian, that's a dangerous room. For the adolescent Christian, that's a dangerous room. Even for the mature Christian, that's a dangerous room. But for the deadly Christian, those are Two fish. You see? I mean, they're they're always two fish. But since Satan's a fisherman too, he can use those two fish to lure the baby Christian, to lure the, uh, the adolescent Christian, or to lure the mature Christian. But for the deadly Christian, those two women are like whales. Metaphysically speaking, those two women are like whales. You know, a baby Christian catches a whale, bye-bye baby. The, the 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 two whales the 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 the, the, the uh, uh, adolescent Christian catches you know two whales bye bye adolescent a mature Christian catches two whales bye bye mature but the deadly Christian catches two whales boom let's get you cleaned up now those two whales become two sisters maybe I shouldn't say whales <laughs> we'll say sharks you know. Well, I shouldn't say whales. And that's what Brother Peter is writing here. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Why? Because you do these things, you go from like in verse 5, add to your faith. That's baby. Verse 5 is baby. Faith, baby. Verse 10, you will never stumble. That's deadly. You see? Baby to deadly. Baby to deadly. If you're in a church, if your pastor doesn't teach you how to go from baby to deadly, jump ship. 
Find a pastor that's going to teach you to be from from to to help you move from baby to deadly. That's what we want. Find a pastor that will do that in that theater of training ground where you become deadly. You learn how to fight, roll around on the mat, engage. You know, spiritually speaking, learn how to fight. Learn techniques, learn weapons, learn warfare, learn tactics. You learn these things. Find a pastor that's going to take you from baby to deadly. Not baby to adolescent. Baby to adolescent, you know, that's good for adolescent. But from adolescent to, you know, going to, you know, young adult. From young adult to, you know, middle age. From middle age to old and then super old. You know, maturely speaking, you know, moving from mature, but then to go from mature to deadly, straight up deadly. You see? In verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that. This is like, you know, post phase two. The barrage happening where the evacuation phase two is the barrage. And then after phase two, I mean, you could say this is like phase three, which is like the entrance into the kingdom of, of the Lord. It's like a phase three scenario. See, praise be to the Lord, how the Spirit, you see how the same Spirit, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, we've been studying like, you know, Genesis. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a long time, we've studied the minor prophets. And that same Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit from Hosea, that same Holy Spirit was in in, in speaking to Moses, to Paul, to Peter, to John, to... It's the Spirit of our Lord. You see? And the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, always leads a person to the Word of God. The Spirit of God will never lead a person to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. No. A spirit of Satan will. But the Spirit of God will never lead a person to take the mark of the beast and lie to them saying, you'll still be saved. The Spirit of Satan will. Remember we gave that warning about the pneumos? You you pray to the pneumos, you open yourself up to the pneumos. The Spirit of God will lead a person to the Word of God. The Spirit of God will never lead a person to lay on graves. The Spirit of the Lord will never lead a person to call him to, to call the spirit glitter. The spirit of Satan will. You see. Very dangerous times that we're in. Perilous, perilous times. And so we continue. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 in closing. And so we see this. And like in verse 10, he says, you know, night and day praying exceedingly that exceedingly. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. That we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Perfect, which is to repair, adjust, mend, restore, prepare, perfect, and complete. You see? Paul, who's not like the average bear. Timothy, Silas, not like the average cubs. These are, these are men who can go from, you know, baby to deadly. Because they themselves themselves have gone from baby to deadly. And so they're trainers of 
baby to deadly. And that's what Paul is saying here, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So they have faith, yes. But do they lack perseverance? Could be. Do they lack, you know, brotherly kindness? Could be. But by the report of Timothy and Silas, everything seems to be... Remember Paul, he could barely take it. I can no longer endure it, he says. I want to know, how are my kids in Thessalonica doing? He's not defunct. The, the, the pastors in Corinth, defunct. You see in this three, three to four year process, what the non-defunct, the, what, what the deadly do, what the, you know, I'm speaking of pastors now. In the case of Thessalonica, you see what the deadly pastor does. But then in the case of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, not what Paul writes to them, but what the fruit of those pastors, the defunct pastors. That's the state of defunct babies who stay babies. They, I mean, looking at Second Peter, they're just they're stuck in verse five. They don't even add to their faith virtue. It, they're just they just have faith. I mean, having faith is beautiful. Don't forget, you know, having faith is beautiful. But you know, okay, babies, okay, now let's eat some Cheerios, and the Cheerios eat pieces of chicken. Now, a piece of chicken, you know, you grow even further. Okay, now that's steak. You know, lobster, steak, you know, pork chops, all kinds of, you know, the child grows. You see? But in the case of Corinth, they were they had faith, which is beautiful. The problem was, is that they, no growth. They stayed babies. Arrested development. And that's just three years. But we're living in it, and that, you know, Remember when Paul says to the elders in Miletus, the, in the Miletus meeting, but they were the elders of Ephesus, he says, after my departure, look what's going to happen. You know, after my departure, wolves are going to come in and even some of you will become wolves. After my departure. Is Paul boasting? No, he's just stating fact. He's deadly. He's deadly. He's not boasting at all. Look how awesome I am. No, he's deadly. Wolf comes, okay, wolf is killed. Metaphysically speaking. You see, remember the, in Galatians when Paul said, you know, these people who appeared to be something, what, what they were to me, I don't care. You know, what did they teach? What did they teach? He says to the saints in Corinth, you might well put up with it. The preacher guy comes in, you might well put up with it. Is, is Paul going to put up with it? No. Why? He's deadly. He serves his master, Jesus Christ. Remember Moses? We just, just so happens we studied this on one Wednesday. It just so happens, it just so happens. Where Moses says, after I die, where the Lord says, I will never forsake you, but then the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to forsake them. Did the Lord change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. And Moses acknowledges that and, and confirms it to the people. Says, look, he's speaking to the, the, to the leadership. Just like a Miletus meeting, except it's, you know, in, in Moab. When I die, you guys are, you're going to forget when I die. Is Moses boasting in himself? No, he's deadly. You see, I, that, that's so beautiful. I mean, you, you know, how many times do you hear us refer to Corinth? 
Remember I told you when we started our study in Corinthians, my love-hate relationship? I love Corinth, but I hate it. And not that I hate them, you know, but I, I love Corinth because it's like, wow, you know, they go from babies and yeah, they were messed up and then they, they were messed up. There was a separation and they were, they were, they were cleaned up. I, I, I love the work of the Lord, but I also hate it because it's like, wow, look at that flesh that was in there. Look at the works of the flesh, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. Look at the flesh. I hate it. But I'm so glad that it's encapsulated in Scripture because it's helpful for us, for you and me today, to understand that we have to be deadly. Now, have as many times as we refer to how messed up Corinth was before the separation, where Paul says your rejoicing isn't good, all kinds of different, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. If you're listening for the for the first time or you haven't listened to our study through 1 Corinthians, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, you'll understand. And then get caught up, listen to all the studies. Get yourself caught up. But as messed up as that church was, picture Chloe. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Chloe just standing firm. Firm like crazy. Oh man, I love that so much. When you see people in the Bible, male, female, young, old, I don't care. But when, you know, carnally speaking, the odds are against them. Huge tempest, huge storm. But yet they stand. Oh, I love that so much. And their stand is in the Lord. Just like Chloe. A little home fellowship. Corinth was a mess. But even when Corinth was a mess, you have a little remnant in Chloe's house. Beautiful. Beautiful. And so we continue. In verse... uh, In verse 10, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. You see? So yes, you know, see... They, they lack this under, they're a baby church. They're young Christians. They just, they're, they're fresh believers. I mean, just, you know, a year ago, you know, just a year ago, they became Christian. I mean, you know, a year ago back then, but just a year prior to this letter being written, they became Christians. And under the attacks of the religious leaders, the barrage of the religious leaders, not the barrage of the Lord, the barrage of the religious leaders, you see, Philipsis. Appointed, just like in verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Appointed to affliction, appointed to thlipsis, which is tribulation, persecution, affliction. Yes. And that's that only confirms what is happening to them. The home invasion under the thumb of the religious leaders. And when you understand that we are appointed to this as well, because remember, we're still in phase one. Phase two hasn't happened. Phase two is coming, the evacuation, but not yet. And I have the the biggest point of consternation is found with my brothers and sisters who are pre-tribulation rapture theory people. Oh, we're not appointed to tribulation. We're not appointed to affliction. We're not appointed to persecution. Why would God allow that? 
Why would God do that? You know, why would God allow us to suffer? What? That's so painful to hear a Christian say that. Because such a Christian is unlearned in just basic history. Not even history. Present day. Look at what is happening already to Christians. Men, women, and children beaten, raped, murdered, maimed. It's happening. Cooked. Christians who are cooked. Cut up and cooked. Today. These are things that are happening today. And yet, saints in America and the Western world, why would God allow us to suffer? We were appointed to suffer. But when you have a new mind, a new heart, deep down to the marrow, even in suffering, you, we, we can rejoice. Why? Because we're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Because you're suffering for Jesus Christ. It's one thing to go to jail because you're a jerk. It's one thing to go to jail because you got drunk and you beat up somebody. It's one thing to go to jail because you know you you know you you know this and that whatever. I mean, sometimes people are in jail because they should be in jail. Sometimes you know Christian moms come. Oh, my son's in jail. What do you do? Why is he in jail? It's one thing if they say, oh you know he was he he's he's a Christian. He was you know uh, he was you know saying the good news to somebody and the cops came and arrested him. That's okay. That's Right, you know, that's, that's wrong. That's an injustice. You know, he's in jail, improperly in prison. But even then, we have the example of the Philippian jail. Singing praises unto the Lord. Rejoicing in that persecution. Mom's gone, oh, my son's in jail. Why? Drugs. <laughs> there you go. He should be in jail. You see? That's the, that's the law. Okay, get cleaned up, get, you know, you get sobered up, you're in jail for a couple weeks, couple months, you know, get sobered up, you come out, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up, you know, the jail, that's in the history book, past this prologue. Let's get you cleaned up. You have faith, you believe? Yes, okay. Now, let's move on, let's get you deadly, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Your baby, let's get you, you know, first step, we gotta get you to adolescent. Now, that's gonna take time, but we gotta get you to adolescent. You got to learn what is virtuous. You see? You got to learn what is virtuous. Preschool, first grade, you know, kindergartner, first grade, second grade. You got to grow, mature. Let's get you deadly. So the next time you're in jail, we'll be in jail together. Why? Preaching the good news. You see? We'll be in jail together. For what? Drugs? No. Standing firm for Jesus Christ. Preaching Jesus Christ. His name. All for his glory. Remember, baby to deadly. If you're in a church where you're not going from baby to deadly or you've been going there and you just stopped, you capped at adolescent, not good. You capped at mature even. Okay, understandable. But find a pastor who's straight up deadly. Because that man will train you how to be deadly. That's his task before the Lord. That's what the Lord called him to do. 
Find such a person. Pray for such a person. Find such a person. Because these days are evil and we need to understand what phase one entails. That yes, we are appointed to Thalipsis. We are Kemai for Thalipsis. And it's going to get worse. The You know, affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, trouble, tribulation. It's going to get worse and worse and worse under the wrath of Satan, under the thumos of Satan. But phase two is the orge of God, the wrath of God. And that's like, before that happens, that's evacuation. Why? Because saints are not appointed for phase two. God's wrath, orge. I know a lot of pastors They go out of their way. They call themselves pastors. I don't. They call themselves pastors. And what they do is they go out of their way to find translations, which are translations of translations with commentary. And they go out of their way to find commentary that supports their theory. Those are dangerous people. And I'm not talking about the good dangerous as in deadly. I'm talking about those. That's the bad dangerous as in like you follow that and you're in danger. Not good. Not good. But it's befitting for the times. Befitting for the times. Where a famine of the word of God will befall the earth. Verse 11 In closing, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. I love this so much because you see this unity, how it's a desirable thing. You know, you know, asking, beseeching of the Lord that, you know, Lord, direct us to them. And yet at the same time, we see here in conclusion in verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Remember the greatest gift. Always love because knowledge is a gift of the spirit. But if you have knowledge and knowledge only, you know, and you know, oh, look, I have knowledge. Understand that, you know, what is knowledge? Those who know, know in part. Every, prophecy, prophecy in part. But love never fails. Love is the greatest gift. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand more. In verse 12, Paul says that the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all you see inside the church and outside the church to love one another and to all it's not like you know christian you can you know be loving to a brother be loving to a sister and then be a jerk to the guy you the guy across the street be a jerk at the grocery store no we let our light shine love one another and love unto all now understand you know love one another you know understand that that you know there's a certain blueprint for you know inside the camp just like old testament and new testament a certain blueprint you know leaven not good leaven needs to be dealt with you know in a good way in terms of okay deny those things which so easily ensnare you but leaven wants to be retained by an individual okay now you're getting into night well you know a, a, a christian wants to you know walk according to the flesh to the point where it presents leaven now the leaven the bible teaches us how leaven is dealt with that's when elders pastors Elders, there's a job to do when it comes to leaven. You know, of, of course, clean that person up. But where that person is unwilling, okay, the Bible teaches, okay, this is what needs to happen now. Just like we see the separation in 1 Corinthians 5. 
And we always lead, it's always loving, always gracious, always merciful. But church isn't a social club. And I've had these conversations, you know, somebody, you know, a, a person who went into Hebrew roots. It's like, wow, you know, I, I, I just didn't know where to go. I, I was going to this other church and they were getting crazy and the pastors, nobody was doing anything. The elders, nobody was doing anything. And you see all the sex and alcohol and drugs in the church and all this stuff is happening. So I, I needed more government. And so I went to this church where there was more government. But what I didn't realize at the time was that they were Hebrew roots. And I didn't even know what Hebrew roots was. I just went there because I liked the government. Okay, I understand the the reason for leaving church number one. But church number two, it's not like you know, that wasn't necessarily running to safety. That was running to something arguably worse. Because it's like, you know, going back into the law. If you enter the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Now, you're in a carnal church. It's not to excuse the carnal church and say that that's a good thing. That's not a, that's not a good thing at all. The pastor's defunct. The elders are defunct. And then Christians who go into reformed and Calvinistic churches. Well, we need more church government. I need a church. I need to go to this church that I was going to before. They got too loose and you see the sex and the drugs and the alcohol. And so I didn't want to go Hebrew roots because I knew that was bad. So I went to this Calvinist church. I went to this reformed church. I went to this Presbyterian church. So I went there because I needed more, you know, a Matthew 18 church, a church that exercises Matthew 18. Listen, a lot of pastors today, they use Matthew 18 as an excuse. Why? Because they don't teach sound doctrine. And they use Matthew 18 as an excuse. Matthew 18 should be like the last, the last ditch effort. And they use Matthew 18 as like, oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to two or three witnesses and we're going to do all these things. And it, it breeds a lot of corruption. Not to say, you know, on top of that, Calvinist and Reformed, it's not sound doctrine. It's unbiblical. If you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. But listen to our study through Romans uh, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, and you'll understand more. Also, uh, another one, do not take the mark of the beast. Listen to that one too. Because you hear a reformer say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Very dangerous times. Very dangerous times. Find a pastor who will train you how to be deadly for war. And yet, inside the church, you know, to love, like in verse 12, to love one another, <laughs> to love one another and to all, just as we do to you. Now, the leaven would say to Paul, well, that's not love. He kicked me out of the church. That's not love. He says, don't even eat with me. But for three years, you were having sex with your dad's mom or your dad's wife. You see, for three years, you've been on you're doing the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll. You see, we make these distinctions. And yes, people, you know, the Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. He called me to teach the living. You have, you have, we all have choices to make. Just like, you know, when we give this, you know, a, a, a little warning label to, you know, what I had to say about the, you know, pre-tribulation rapture. The little warning label is like, you know, I love you. But we have to understand what the truth of Scripture says. The truth of Scripture. Now, we're living in a time. Now, turn with me really quick to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2.
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see, this strong delusion, it's not that they're delusional for nothing. I mean, you see crazy people today and they're straight up crazy. And sometimes they're crazy for, you know, like they're crazy because they take medication. They're crazy because of whatever reason. Sometimes, they, you know, they're bipolar or whatever it is. They're just straight up crazy. But this strong delusion, it's from the Lord. And it happens in the last days. It's a form of judgment that they should believe the lie. It's like, okay, wait a second. It's from the Lord. It's a form of judgment. In, in verse 12 says that they all may be condemned. Condemned. Who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Whoa. How does that happen? Well, let's look at verse 10. At the end, the middle of verse 10. They did not receive the love of the truth. So many times, mostly among pastors, sometimes the professors. Oh, you're such a stickler about this. You're such a stickler about that and this and semantics here and semantics there. It's like that. That's not really semantics. You call yourself a professor, but that's not really semantics. And pastors who go out of their way to find translations which are translations of translations which rely heavily on commentary to explain their reason for a brand of theology which is merely a theory. And if a person believes a theory which does not align with the truth, such a person is in harm's way because in the last days, you're going to see the increase of delusional people. I mean, we already see it. You don't need me to tell you. Look at all the crazy people around us. Sometimes crazy people in our own families, straight up psychos. It's like, wow, this guy's delusional. Wow, this lady's delusional. What is it? No love of truth. It's a form of judgment. Remember, before the wrath of God comes to this world, the wrath of God comes on individuals. That's when you get into Romans 1. We, you and me together, we must profoundly, profoundly be lovers of truth. No matter how much the word of God hurts, no matter how much it it's painful. No matter how much we have to deny these preconceived notions about rapture theory, about, you know, glitter, about grave soaking, about the mark of the beast, no matter who says it, you and me together, we must profoundly, profoundly, profoundly love truth. Manuscripts, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, 
manuscript? What does the text say? What does the manuscript say? What does the real text say? Because I've had these conversations with pastors. Oh, the text says this. What text are you reading? Oh, I'm reading, look, this Geneva. This is the translation of Geneva. Geneva, that's that's a commentary. I mean, if you want to read the Geneva Bible, look at the fruit in Geneva. Oh, how dare you say that? The Puritans, look, our nation's founders, the Puritans did this. That's nice. Look at Salem. Look at the fruit of it. You see? You and me together, we must deeply, deeply love truth. What does the Bible say? It's powerful. And from that bursts all kinds of different things, fruit of the Spirit. But you don't profoundly love truth and you're going to see profound fruit of the flesh. Fruit of the flesh. You see, you'll see it. It's one of the signs of the last days. You see like a lot of crazy people today. Strong delusion abounds. You look out, you know, you you go to the grocery store, you see strong delusion, like you're in line waiting to pay. It's like, wow, this lady's delusional. It's like, you see it. You look at our politicians, it's like, wow, this guy's delusional. You look at leaders across the globe, wow, this guy's delusional. Many signs of the last days. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But there is a remnant. So we continue. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 in closing verse 12. He says in verse 12, to love one another and to all just as we do to you. You see, you know, in this bubble of Paul where, you know, he's not like the average bear and, you know, they're not like the average cubs. And in this bubble, there are patterns to emulate. And it's God's beautiful handiwork. Because remember, he was a killer of Christians, a persecutor and beater of Christians. That's who he used to be in his BC days. But the Lord has done a mighty work in him and through him. And now he's a pattern. And we see verse 13. That so that he, speaking of the Lord, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. You see? Blameless in holiness. Concerning fellow workers of Jesus. Remember, we make the distinction between field and worker and the vessels that the Lord uses in his worker. Remember, verse 2, vessels of the Lord, they... They establish in the word. Verse 2, remember verse 2, you know, and and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. And that's what vessels of the Lord do. But then we look at verse 13. That he may establish your hearts. You see? Because vessels establish in the word and understand that the word became flesh. But then Jesus establishes hearts as blameless in holiness. You see? Why? It's to present to the Father. To present to our Father. Hallowed be His name. You see how beautiful this is? When when Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, you are the field, you are the building, we're the workers. You got it good. We not so good. We're the scum of the earth. 
And you see these vessels, they establish in the word. Jesus establish, establishes in the heart. Blameless in holiness in verse 13, he says, and is to present it to the Lord, to be presented to the Lord, our Father. He says, blameless in holiness before our God and Father. When does this happen? Well, he ends here at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I love, remember, the Lord gives us conditions for evacuation, the rally for Xville. Phase two, saints, we are appointed for phase one. We are appointed for tribulation and persecution. But we are not, that's phase one, but we are not appointed to phase two. There's the evacuation, there's the phase two, and just like Brother Peter says in the quasi phase three, that's what we see here at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. A future event. Many, 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 many years into the future, for the Thessalonians, for these saints, for you and me today, not so far anymore. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.